Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. We have increased our firings per week this week to two after averaging one for the last four weeks. Both Colorado, expected, and Wisconsin, very unexpected, pulled the plug on their coaches this week. The great Bruce Feldman from Fox and The Athletic joins us to talk about the 24-7 coaching carousel and what could be next at those schools that face very different coaching searches and challenges when it comes to getting their programs back on course. We also have a week six preview. Week six, we are just about halfway through the season, folks. We have a week six preview of our most intriguing games. We'll hit on what was supposed to be the big game of the week in the SEC, but really across the country. And a most unexpected battle of unbeatens in the Big 12. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and a good rating. It helps more college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and or comments to AP Top 25 Mailbag, AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. That's the digits two five. We will try to get to them, if we get some, in the closing part of our show. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is the great Bruce Feldman from Fox, and you can read him at The Athletic. Um, there is a never-ending coaching carousel these days, so we had to bring someone on who can talk about openings and closings and who's next. Uh, and Bruce, man, like... Wisconsin was definitely the first one this year. There's always one throughout the year where things go, oh, man, that guy is getting fired or that turned quickly. But Wisconsin is is one that even unlike Dan Mullen last year with Florida, where things flipped really fast and all of a sudden you were like, holy cow, this guy's going to get fired. Like we didn't even get to the point where we were like, holy cow, Paul Christ is going to get fired. It was like, oh, gosh, Paul Christ just got fired. Yeah, that one was a was a wild one. I was out doing family stuff on Sunday. New Colorado was expected to happen. There was one other one that I thought there was a chance could happen. And it wasn't this, you know, um, we knew things were really struggling. I think to me, the first sign of this doesn't feel like it's going in a good direction was when Washington State went in there and beat them. Um, but I didn't think that was going to be, oh, yeah, he goes from like, yeah, he's one of the 25 best coaches to he's in jeopardy he's on the he's on the harson kind of hot seat didn't you know like if you had told anybody that going into the year that paul chris was going to get fired before brian harson um i don't think anybody would have believed that but that you know happened i mean 67 and 26 he was just very consistent and also did not feel at least from my perspective, I imagine you agree with this. It did not feel like like Wisconsin would do something like that, you know. And you can talk about the dynamics with Jim Leonard and trying to give him a chance, and we're afraid to lose him and all that. It just didn't feel like a very Wisconsin move. It felt like a very SEC kind of move, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel like that. And the only thing I can I can say on that is there is a ton of money now coursing through the Big Ten, and so big buyouts, no matter how big this one is 
that's not really the factor. The factor is, do we feel like we're, you know, this is kind of beneath us to yank, to, to just blow him out of there like this. And obviously they didn't feel like that. Yeah. With, I can, I can use the word, uh, properly this was a unique situation compared to the others and in the others that were tracking right the others that have happened in terms of firing and the others that are, are that we're tracking that we think will be um the you know the next ones up in the uh, to the guillotine so to speak um and you're right the leonard situation is interesting because clearly they can give him a chance now to prove himself they they thought he is the next head coach they have thought that they have been worried about losing him, and now he's got seven games to prove it. And I think that they very much would like him to prove it. I also think it's it's a different dynamic in that they're they're still looking at this as a season to be salvaged, right? They're not just looking at it as well. I think with all the other schools that have fired, maybe Nebraska to a lesser extent, but certainly most of the others, it's like, hey, man, this isn't working. It's not going to work. This season is shot. Which is unfortunate to do to the players, and it's maybe not fair. Maybe they shouldn't do that in September. But there's also there's I think some of a re- of a recognition that like this is not happening. Let's just move on now. And maybe there's a chance by moving on from this coach, we pull back some of the negativity around the program, and maybe that gives us a little bit of a spark. And maybe the season turns out better than we thought it would. I think with Wisconsin, it's it's more than just, hey, we're hoping. I think that there's a, a real feeling that, listen, we might still be able to win this division and do some things. Like, we, we have a chance to get better by doing this, so let's try to salvage the season. That's, a, that's just a very different dynamic, I think, for most, college, for most college teams when they make a move like this. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Also, when you look at it, there is, you know, every team in the West, in the Big Ten West, has only played two games, and nobody has started out two and zero. That's all. That feels almost mathematically impossible <laughs> right. for it to be like that case. Everybody's one and one, but them. And you go by the teams like they're going to play Northwestern right now. Northwestern's one and four overall, but they're tied for first in the in the division. You know, Nebraska two and three, uh, they're tied for first. Like the only schools in there that I'm like. I mean, they're they're all woefully flawed. Um, like Purdue, I think is is Purdue and Illinois, and I think you know, look, Minnesota when they get back uh, Mo Ibrahim from from you know the ankle that kept him out last week. I mean, I think when he's there, they're they're maybe the best team in the league. I mean, the division, I should say. Mm-hmm. But it's like there's doesn't seem like there's a big gap between any of those seven teams. So I could see why they say it. And the other thing why I think it's so unique is. I cannot remember a situation where the interim was so much felt like the favorite to get the job, yeah. not just because he was highly sought after. I mean, he's turned down a lot more money to stay in Madison, like at least the last two years, if not the last three years. I mean, hell, the and Packers also, came after him. Yeah. And then the other thing about this is he is a Wisconsin guy through and through. So I think if, and again, I think if you're him, you got to show some kind of spark on offense to say, hey, this thing, this thing felt really stale. And all of a sudden, then, you know, the defense looked a little, you know, it struggled some, some too on that side. But if I was a betting man and you said, which job do you think is most likely to have, like, who do you, you know, who do you feel like is the most likely to be a head coach of, you know, at Arizona State, Georgia Tech, let's say Auburn, let's certainly throw in Nebraska and Colorado in there. 
I'd be like the guy I feel the most confident and I'm not saying it's a lock, but the guy I feel the most confident to be a head coach at the, at all these places that are going to have turnover is Jim Leonard Yeah, because they don't play a ranked team. I think if he goes five and two, I mean, that would make them five and four. I don't think, I don't think that would get them into the, uh, into the conference championship game. <laughs> you I never, think probably, you never know. <laughs> this, the never that's know. Going, the way that's working, looking know. like. But I don't think it's like, when you look at the teams they play. I mean, you know, I just saw Iowa. They're they're dreadful on offense. Like I think Minnesota is pretty good. I Maryland they have to go to. Those are both you know I think pretty good teams. And Purdue to me the three best teams they play they all have to go to Madison. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I, I'm I'm very interested to see how this goes because this job also I think is is would be very attractive because I don't think they're that far off. Whereas Nebraska, same you know, same side of it. At least you know how long we don't know how long, much longer they're going to be in you know divisions here. Sure, but sure. Nebraska just having been there this this year, um, that is going to be a major overhaul. Like there's yeah, a the lot roster, of the roster needs an overhaul. The the infrastructure needs an overhaul. Now you could say Wisconsin was and they're, and they're in the process of doing this. They're looking at upgrading facilities and things along those lines. But that that's like in other words, like the the general health of the roster shouldn't be that far off at Wisconsin. It doesn't look that far off at Wisconsin. No, whereas Nebraska, it needs major work, and I also think the culture was so flawed there mm, that's a good point. Uh, just from n- knowing what I know now from being there for a couple of days and talking to people, that is something that needs, it needs dramatic turnover. Whereas I'm not sure Wisconsin really needs that. I mean, these other jobs, they almost all of them are going to need a dramatic overhaul. Whereas I don't think Wisconsin is that. Yeah, I think Wisconsin still has its identity, and I think that'll be the interesting thing. I saw somebody, there was a, sort of a Twitter discussion uh, that, that I got drawn into a little bit, and it, it, it basically was around the, based around the idea, does Wisconsin need a new blueprint, or does it just, just sort of need to, and I'll paraphrase here, just need to, like some tweaks, and that's what I think. I just think Wisconsin maybe needs to freshen up its offense a little bit. Like I think Wisconsin is still going about Running its program in the way that maximizes Wisconsin, right? I think there's still a, there's a there's a path for Wisconsin to be very good. It knows what it wants to be. Again, we can talk about how maybe some of their facilities are behind, and they're trying to address those things. So obviously, there's some things that the coach necessarily doesn't 100 percent control that need to be worked on, and there's going to be a more than enough money coming in. But as you said, I don't think Wisconsin needs a major cultural overhaul. It, it probably doesn't need a blueprint overhaul. So maybe the move to Leonard is is exactly what you need. Like you keep the ethos, the essence of Wisconsin, and somebody who knows the path to being what a, a good Wisconsin is, but you make some tweaks around the edges. So, yeah, I mean, I, w- I was with you. Like I, I thought – I remember like watching some of Saturday's game thinking to myself, wow, 
I think Paul Chris might get fired at the end of the year. Like I, at the end of the year, like I could see a path where they, if they go like seven and five, and this kind of looks like a seven and five ish team, like they might have to do some real thinking about like maybe this the, the trajectory isn't right. Things are getting stale, and we may need to make a move. And the fact that it, that was the first time I really thought about it and thought, yeah, like this, I think this is heading in the wrong direction. This could be the job that we didn't see come in in the off season. This is the job that that pops up as the guys on the hot seat that we probably didn't realize it but man like 24 hours later he was gone so it was shocking um you know yeah, like you had mentioned the florida one like on that one i had worked on a story like a second like a different story and in the process started hearing from sec coaches about just how bad they thought florida was mm-hmm. and then it got me to making more calls and and so you know, we had this story running about like, what the hell happened to Florida? And Dan Mullen still had the job, you know, and at that point it was like, yeah, he's going to be on the hot seat next year. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, this thing is spiraling down. He had recruited but really badly. And there was a lot of things that you talk to people and they're like, they just have like a bad, a really bad culture right now. And then I remember the story went up and it got a lot of traction. And then, I was out somewhere and I I think Stu Mandel, my colleague was like, you ought to retweet your story again. I was like, what? And he goes, the Florida story. I was like, why? He goes, cause they are lose. They are getting blown out at South Carolina at halftime. Mm. And I, that was a game where it was like, South Carolina is not, was not, you know, yeah, not good last year. Yeah. Decent, but nobody was looking at them as like a force in the sec East by any stretch. And at that point it was like, wow, this thing is, this thing is sinking faster then we thought it was like, yeah, he is going to get fired. Like they can't keep him. Whereas this to me is like, you know, again, I, I totally agree. Unique is the right way to say it. I just don't know how many circumstances we have like this. And I also think it's unique to me in this regard where if Jim Leonard doesn't get, doesn't do enough to get the job. Like I think they have three or four really realistic, good options who might be in play at other places and go, yeah, but that's Wisconsin, and that's a better situation than this other one. Well, yeah, yeah let's just jump into that. I mean, Lance Leipold is the most obvious one. He was at mm-hmm. Wisconsin Whitewater for years and built up a Division Three powerhouse there. It's the thing that sort of launched his career, probably should have launched it even faster, quite frankly. Um, and, we, you know, that's a conversation for another time about how sometimes we, you know, don't don't give enough, they, they don't give enough credit to these lower-level uh, successes. Um he seems to be the one where I, I would wonder if there are people at Wisconsin who are who. Yeah, that's that's the other one. Like, like, OK, Jim, like we're going to basically compare you, Jim Leonard, like, let's see what you do. But like, here's the bar you need to clear. <laughs> the bar you need to clear is how well does Lance do at Kansas and how much do we want, want to get him involved? I think there could be some others in Matt Campbell if you want to throw a couple of names out there. But Leipold seems to be the one that if I was Wisconsin would give me pause on, OK, how much do I want to make sure I go with my guy? Yeah, and I don't I, I would ask you, Ralph, I mean, they're five and oh. You know, they they have been really good on offense. He did a really good job, and I agree with you, you know, six D3 national titles. But, like, he did a really good job at Buffalo. He By did. the end he of it, they were a top 25 team. Yeah. They had a, a ferocious running game. Like, he is just a really, really good football coach with a really good staff that knows what they're doing, right? And so, I mean, 
at this point forward, now look, if they end up winning eight games this year, that would sound great at Kansas, but winning eight games mean they would go what three and um three and four the rest of the way. Right. Where like by Kansas standards, that's awesome. But you know, that's kind of you know, it's almost like now the bar is like they have Jalen Daniels is playing great. You know, what like what does he need to do to finish this regular season off with like a puncture? Does it have to end in the you know in the Big Twelve title game? Oh, I don't. Do, do, I, I mean, I, I think if he wins two more games, like it's still like a rousing success. I mean, they, this is still not a fully formed. I don't think. I don't think Big Twelve contender. There's a chance with the Big Twelve being a very good league this year with a lot of parity. That right, they they could go two and you know two and five the rest of the way and be in games, but it'd still be amazing. I mean, this has been the most hopeless program for more than a decade. The idea that they could get to you know even six wins this year, you know Stu Mandel was on it, but no not not many uh, many of us were the fact that they could get to six or seven this year they're going to catch some l's this year. You know, I, I my you know to me again. I, I think as long as they win a couple more games and don't completely face plant, it's it's a, an amazing and arousing success. It is, and it's to the point where, if you were to say, if if you were to say, how could we hamstring a Power Five program as bad as possible? Hmm. Let's hire Charlie Weiss yeah. and go after a bunch of junior college to gut the roster. Let's bring in a first-time head coach after that, David Beatty, who I actually thought did a decent job. Yeah, because we have no money, right? So we're just going to pay the yeah. guy. The, we're just going to hire the coach who will do this on the cheap. And then let's follow him up with Les Miles, who who is so far, you know, out of it right now or just kind of lost. Yeah, removed from being uh, relevant. <laughs> yeah, and then we're going to throw him in. It was just like – as bad a you know as bad a circumstances you could hand the keys to somebody and look credit to Kansas for fi- for finally being smart like Vandy could have had Lance Leipold they chose Clark Lee who was a hot assistant at Notre Dame and is from there and went to school there and we'll see how that works out but like he was sitting there for a lot of people as you said and look good for them for getting him I think. I think he is he is playing with the house's money at this point right now. And whether it's Nebraska jumps on him or or he goes back to his home state in Wisconsin, um, like some you know, somebody's screwing up really bad if they can't hire him away from Kansas. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I feel bad for Kansas because everybody's taking their coach away after they finally got it right. But it's just that the programs that are out there right now, these two openings especially, just seem like perfect fits for what he has accomplished and you know what he has done in his career. And they're going to pay a lot. And they're going to be, generally speaking, in better position to have long-term success than Kansas. Listen, there's also this other there's this other aspect, and this maybe we can hit on this as we pivot to Colorado, which was an obvious firing. And there's bigger questions about like what the hell do you do with Colorado? I, I do think we are getting to a point now where if you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC and you're a coach, you're thinking, how can I get to the Big Ten or the SEC? Like I, I generally, there there were going to be exceptions to that. Well, look, there's an example of I like this is why I feel like there's some really good strong options for 
for Wisconsin, even if Leonard doesn't work out. One of those guys, and it's a little bit of a small sample size now, but Jake Dickert's also from Wisconsin. Played at Stevens Point there. He went in and he beat them this year. Now, I like him a lot. I think really highly of what he's done in a program that desperately needed stability at Washington State. And he was the answer last year as the interim. And I feel like he's made a lot of really good moves, both in the portal and staffing-wise. Um, you know, they gave him a chance when nobody was hiring, was looking at Jake Dickert. So I'm, I, I do think he'll be loyal. But towards what you just said, not only is it home, you know, Wisconsin is in the Big Ten. Washington State, like Colorado, and also like Arizona State, are very you know, vulnerable, you know, in terms of conference realignment dynamic, right? And so I don't know, you know, there's like, to me, and we can, you know, leave Matt Campbell out for a minute, but like Sean Lewis is a Wisconsin guy sure. who's a really good offense. He's done a nice coach. job at Kent State. Yeah, at a tough place. You know, it's a no-brainer for him to leave if they go to him. It's his alma mater, and obviously Wisconsin is way bigger than a Mac job. But I just think that if, if Wisconsin comes calling, it's going to be really hard for a lot of these guys to say no. Here's a good way to sum up Wisconsin, and then we'll pivot to Colorado. Jeff Petroikis, who covered, and I know Jeff, so I feel terrible that I can't pronounce his last name. But he um, he covers uh, Wisconsin for the um, Milwaukee paper, and the best way, he summed up the situation with Leonard the best. He said, I'm sorry, I'm looking for the tweet now, but I'll just I'll just paraphrase it. People at Wisconsin are rooting for Leonard to 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 succeed. Right. Essentially, they want him to have this job. And just like you said, look at the schedule, look at the way it lays out. Like if you're motivated to see the guy you have succeed and be in that job, you are most likely going to give him the benefit of the doubt if we're like if we're in a situation where, well, they went five and two, is that enough? Um, you know, they lost this game. It was a close game. Maybe they had a quarterback injury. Oh, it's more about Mertz than about the about the job Leonard did. So, in other words, if you're going in hoping that he will take the job, he's going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt if things get a little weird. And I think that's where we are right now with that situation. Yes, they could absolutely find themselves looking at somebody else and they have other good options. But it really does line up that if if Jim Leonard does a pretty good job there, they're going to see it. They're going to be able to see him work. They are familiar with him. Another huge thing in coaching searches these days, which is... uh, it cannot be understated because there's so much volatility and there's so much uh, unknown when you're hiring somebody from the outside is I've worked with this guy. I know his temperament. I know his I know his deal. Right. As opposed to I'm going outside and I don't know if that other person who I don't know who I don't know will match what we want. So again, I, I think that it would be a, it would be an upset if they did anything other than hire Jim Leonard. But we'll see, you know, again, but they can't go three and four. Probably. I think it's probably safe that, you know, if they go three and four or two and five, they're not going to hire Jim Leonard. But I think if he gives them any reason to keep him, my sense is they will keep him. I agree. I think so much of it is fit. And like you said, no, like the last thing you want is like an Adazio like hire, right? Like he goes in and it's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't, you're not, you know, like you're not from here. You don't, you know, it's like I, I think the 
cult, you know, we hear, we use the term culture and I do too much as well, but like, I think there has to be a, a cultural fit in terms of like, how do you fit in there where it just doesn't seem like, especially at a place that really has a defined identity and what they are, you know, um, and very rarely do you get somebody who feels like a complete outsider where it, it's going to work great. You know, it may work well as the change goes from one guy to the next, but eventually I feel like unless that outsider is just so good at what they do, um, I feel like eventually it gets them, you know, it ends up, you know, shooting them in the foot. So, so here who ha- here's a program with no identity and no culture, certainly no identity, and that's Colorado, which is sad for me and probably sad for you to a certain degree because we are both of the age where, like, Colorado was awesome. And Colorado wasn't great in the 80s and became great in the 90s. And it was cool. Like they were they were the cool alternative to Nebraska and Oklahoma. Right. Nebraska and Oklahoma were kind of stodgy and Colorado had black uniforms that made them look even faster. Like it just seemed like Cordell Stewart and 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 Rashawn Salam were even faster with the all black uniforms. And it's funny that we're talking about Wisconsin because I have these vivid memories of the Earl of like the late nineties, I think it was, when Wisconsin and Colorado played a home and home. And both years, and I'd have to look it up, like Colorado ran Wisconsin out of the building. It was like the it was it was just a such a stereotypical um matchup of oh that team is much faster than those guys from the midwest <laughs> right so that's yeah, what Colo- were, that's what colorado they, used to be they recruited houston well they recruited la well they you know they they had a really interesting mix that they were bringing together look they had some off-field issues too um obviously yeah it was very interesting of, of the dynamic of how that culture worked right of bringing in yeah. those kids from those places and having them have to adapt to boulder which is, you know, not urban. Like, it's just as simple no. as that, you know? But they've been lost for so long. Like, I went back when I was doing, you know, the, the coaching search story on Sunday night. Like, they've had one top 25 season in the past 20 years. Yeah. That is an amazing time level. in the woods. Yeah, and it was like the Mike, Mike McIntyre, who was really the, the best coach they've had, you know, in this drought where they've hired – all kinds of different, you know, either retreads and first time guys who had connections or, you know, there was a Dan Hawkins run where was it him or was it Boise? Well, I guess it was Boise. You know, like you just I, I feel like they have been and it includes definitely hiring Carl Durrell, the blind guy with the blindfold swinging at the pinata mm-hmm. for the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, listen, and- they, they may have gotten a bad break with Mel Tucker leaving yeah, after yeah, one I, year because that that has that happens too right like you you find yourself in a situation where hey i think we got a good guy and then he bolts after a year and that in, just you know adds to the dysfunction and leads you to hiring carl durrell because you're making a hire in february i would also make the case now because of the conference instability and where they are I think it's probably a hard like, and again, we'll see how many other jobs come open. But there is definitely going to be some overlap now between you have Arizona State, which you know has an NCA investigation hanging over its head, and who knows who the AD is going to be a year from now. But Arizona State definitely has a better recruiting base to recruit to. You have Nebraska and Wisconsin, which obviously you know was, Nebraska was a rival, but those are clearly better jobs, and they are 
they have the conference piece, which CU doesn't have, right? So I'm, you know, like, it's not to say that they have no hope here, but they, you know, I think they could be in line on a few guys, depending on how this thing plays out. I mean, right now, if you are, and I mentioned a couple of these names, like especially Kalani Satake, who I think is a really good coach, you know, BYU is going into the Big 12. We don't know what Colorado is going to be. Mm-hmm. So the one thing, I think it goes beyond coach too, but it doesn't go to, hey man, how much does that administration support football? How much do those fans support football? And and before we get into that, just just let me divert here for a second. Like, it's okay if your area, your fan base, your 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 institution does not support football in the same way that an SEC school does, right? I mean, like, it's just, there's a lot of things to do in Colorado. People like to ski. It's not going to be the same. You're not going to get the same crowds as you get at LSU and things along those lines. But, so so you obviously have some hurdles there. It's a pro area, right? The Broncos, you know, sort of dominate the area. And they're, they're, people in Boulder are not that far from Denver. So you have, a, you have like, you have the same situation that you would have when you have pro teams in the area. But it shouldn't be this bad. It shouldn't be hopeless. And to a certain degree, that falls from how much are you investing? How much are you willing to invest in this? And I understand, like you said, you don't have Big Ten money. But I do think that there has been sort of a a negligence around this program that has led to this as well. Uh, Not just something a coach can fix. There needs to be a bigger picture look at like okay how do we fix all this and be more serious about our football program yeah and i think it's going to be you know i feel like this job is one of those where it's going to be like wildly across the you know all over the place where you know knowing some people close to rick george they would like if possible not to have to gamble on a first-time head coach Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think they may be in, you know, I don't know if a sitting head coach, save for maybe Troy Calhoun, is going to be a real candidate there, you know, and I could be wrong on that. But I think you're looking at either guys who have been head coaches who maybe aren't now, or there's a couple of, of uh, you know, assistants who are good, co- who I think are really doing a good job, who they may have to gamble on. You know, um, and that may be their 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 best bet, you know, just because, again, right now, like I visited Colorado in the summer and just talking to some guys on the staff, they don't know if there's a player on the roster right now who's a draft prospect. It's Mm -hmm. like a draftable guy. It's like that's how bad the roster is. Yeah. And and again, so the the attrition there is bad. I, I, I don't. I, can't, I I do believe I could see a path to it being better. I don't think it should be hopeless at Colorado. And again, I do think that's a part of it is uh, investment in the program and, and giving a coach a chance to succeed. And I don't necessarily like I, I see the point of bringing in somebody who's done it before, just so you know, there's a level of competence there. Um, I don't know if maybe Bill O'Brien would want that job. You know, he he's come up for a ton. He, he, he listen clearly. He wants another head coaching job, and his name is out there for everything. 
I don't know where he might land, but if he really wants one, maybe this is a place where he could go and decide that there is, you know, that there's a possibility of being supported well enough to turn it around there at Colorado. I don't mind the idea, though, of uh, again, I know why people would be scared by that, but I don't mind the idea of saying, okay, Ryan Walters doing a great job at Illinois as defensive coordinator. He used to play here. Let's maybe try that. Casey Dunn, great offensive coordinator at uh, Oklahoma State, really experienced guy, not necessarily a young uh, a young assistant coach, sort of profiles like another guy I'll bring up, Jeff Grimes, who's the offensive coordinator at Baylor. Like maybe it's not necessarily a an experienced head coach, but maybe it's an experienced assistant who's been around long enough that you feel like they kind of understand and you're taking a little bit less of a risk. Yeah, and look, Casey Dunn's from California, went to college, you know, in the region at least, and you know, around Colorado, like him, I like Jeff Grimes a lot as well. Um, Jeff Grimes was a finalist for the Utah State head coaching job, and I feel like his his profile has only gotten better since then. Um, after leaving BYU, he went to Baylor, and he's been a he was a great addition for Dave Aranda, and for anybody who's been around him, Jeff Grimes feels like he could be a head coach. He's got a ton of presence to him. He's just one of these guys where you're around him, you're like, yeah, that guy, that guy could be a head coach. No doubt. Ryan Walters, not only does he have the ties to see you, he was a player there and a former staffer, but as you said, I mean, like he's doing an amazing job with Illinois. They went from 108th in defense before he got there. Now they're number three. Yeah, and Missouri was good when he was at that with their leading their defense too. Like his track yeah, record has shown good defenses. The the wild card for me in this is another guy who's never been a head coach, but has he has deep ties to CU, and they wanted to hire him at one point. I'm told, and that's Eric Bieniemy. Mm, it's an interesting you know, one. Name, yep. He's passed over for head coaching jobs left and right in the NFL. He's 53. He had a reputation as a great recruiter back in the day. He was obviously a great running back for for CU when they were rolling. Um, I. I think if he really wanted the job, and again, I don't know what the timing is going to be like for him because he's on the Chiefs and they're really good again. But what do you, you know, like, do you say, hey, we're, this is it. We're going to give him a shot. I mean, and this is going to be his shot. Or do you just say, all right, that ship has sailed. I don't, I don't know. Rick George obviously knows him because he was a uh, Bill McCartney guy from way back in the day as well. Uh, That would be an interesting one because I think there'd be some pushback against him. But I think it'd be if he really wanted the job and see you, and it was known that he wanted the job and see you bypassed him, man, that would that would be a tricky dynamic for them to navigate. I think around their around their their past players. Don't poke fun at me for being a gadget guy. You want lemon zest? I've got a zester. Gapping spark plugs? Let me grab my spark plug gauge. And for sure, I'm a Regions app guy when I need to check balances, deposit checks, make transfers, or make an appointment. Regions tech is always at my fingertips. You need anytime access to your accounts. Regions gets it. So switch to Regions Life Green Checking for our highly rated app, online tools, and personal service that helps you live in the moment. Visit Regions.com to learn more. Regions Bank member FDIC, equal housing lender. We're going to preview the weekend and we do it here um, the way this is the way we do it here. Right. Five most intriguing games of the week. I have my list. Bruce has his list. We go through some of them are the same. We talk about how come there we really are interested in these games. Maybe we make a pick on these games. Um, 
You know, if, if, Bruce, I felt like I haven't done I've done the listeners a disservice because for for a while we have been doing the weekend preview here and I haven't been forcing my guests and, and myself to make a pick. But I, like that's not really that's not really fair. Like I, I should have to, you know, we I think people sort of expect us to pick these games, even though we probably don't really know what we're talking about. That would make sense, and that is true. We don't. We're just guessing, just like everybody else. We just maybe know the names and the stats a little better. Maybe have, yeah. maybe have, maybe have too much information to scare us off of one thing, or for us to be too loyal to another. So, so uh, I don't, I don't want to be uh, critical of other sports writers who do this, and especially some others that are both friends of ours and maybe even colleagues of yours. But like, I don't gamble. Um, I don't have a, first of all, I don't have a, a, a lot of passion for it. When I first got out of college and in college, I think like a lot of guys, I gambled on games and I realized pretty quickly, like I hate losing more than I like winning. Maybe when I retire, I'll go back and like start gambling a little bit on games, but I don't actually put money on my, on games. Um, do you, do you, do you, do you I do not. I have two quick stories that hopefully they'll be quick. Um, That's that we got time. Forced- the first one is, and this is why I think sports writers, you know, too much knowledge is a, too much can be a dangerous thing is you get beholden to if you saw something happen in person, you either think that player or that 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 team is either that much better than they really are or that much worse than they are based on that eyewitness feeling. Right. Um, you see it. You're like, oh, that guy, whatever. And you just cling to it. And usually it's not that, you know, most times it's not as as good or bad as you really think it is. The other thing was back in my ESPN magazine days, um, there was an assistant coach I, I knew and he had told me about he was at an SEC program and told me about all sorts of issues they had in their DB room. He was a DB coach that particular week. And, yeah, we're going to have a bunch of players suspended. They had like either a fight, you know, inside practice or something along the lines of that. Mm-hmm. And they were playing a team that threw the ball a lot. And I just remember I had a, a colleague in my office who gambled a lot. And he always was asking me for any inside information. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I got this one thing. And I told him. And I remember um, – being on the road that weekend, I went and checked that score and I was like, Ooh, that is not how I was expecting it to play out. <laughs> and, um, that was pretty much the last time I think I would tell, and this is years ago, told somebody, yeah, this is, you, you know, like this is something that you may want to factor into your, your business decision. Yeah. That's you know? funny. I actually had one like that relative. So I have a couple of people who tend to come to me. My nephew especially is like, Hey, what do you think about this one? What do you think about that one? And after several years of doing this, he started to realize like, I, I'm not getting that much help from you. <laughs> like, like you're like, it, like it helps to have a little extra insight, but it's really not like I'm doing as well on my own as I'm doing with you. Yeah. Play your hunches. Just, you know? Yeah. So, but recently, he texted me about a particular game and it was a similar situation where I was like, you know, I feel like I had like a little morsel of like, I've heard there's some dysfunction here. So, you know, just to let you know if the, where, where you're heading with this. And then, of course, whatever my little tip, little nugget of information was, it didn't actually play out that way in the game the the team that he was i think more inclined to bet covered and so yeah perfect example of like yeah you think i think we we think we may know some things but 
really we're not d- as deeply embedded with any of these programs as we think we are. So no, like I felt like the only teams that I felt like I really had a real, you know, insight into, like when I did the LSU, you know, book a couple of years ago and I was around them before like the conference chant, you know, they played Georgia and yeah. was that well, you were getting a lot of access to that Yeah, team. that was different. I knew even when I was like you know, I knew what was going on when I was around Ole Miss working on the the recruiting book. Um, what was interesting to me was I would usually get back in there on Tuesdays and on Tuesdays, you'd feel like the world was coming to an end there. Like they had players who weren't going to be eligible or weren't were hurt or were, you know, who knows what was going on. And then by Saturday, he would get them worked up so much that they would almost beat Auburn when Auburn was like number nine in the country. They mm-hmm. almost beat Florida when there were three in the country. I'm like, how the hell is this happening? You know, it's like you have half a roster, but it would be like they would be worked up into such a frenzy before the game because they had such a chip on their shoulder. And probably also the other team, you know, it's the SEC. They probably would take naturally take them a little more lightly. Mm-hmm. And so you get these kind of weird things. And it was like on Tuesday, I'd be t- if I could, if I would, I'd be telling everybody, oh, you know, they're never they have no chance. That spread's too small. And then all of a sudden it would be like. Seventeen, thirteen. you know, at the end of the game. Yeah, there's just so much. There's you use the word volatility earlier. There's just so much volatility in these games, especially with with college kids and college teams there. You know, there's a, a, a such a wide range of outcomes. Each team is from week to week. And then you throw in a couple, you know, of the unknowns and how kids are going to respond because they are kids to what may have happened in their life that week. So anyway, the the long story short, folks, is. Feel free to gamble. It can be a fun pastime, and it's legal now in most places. But if you're looking to us for gambling tips, we're more than happy to provide some kind of insight and take a guess at who's going to win these games and by how much. But for the most part, you know, you might find better advice elsewhere. But we'll we'll tell you. We'll tell you who we like, and you can come back at us and say, hey, you were wrong. But ultimately, eh, we're not really going you know, this, this is not that is not necessarily our forte. That is not our job here. However, let's start with number five. What is your fifth most intriguing game of the week? The game that you really have your eye on because you're interested to see how it'll play out, Bruce. Uh, it is Washington State at USC. I like that one. A little off the board here. It's a little off the board. I think some of that is because I don't know if people give Washington State enough credit. I think that they added some really good transfers. Um, Dayon Henley on the other side, a linebacker is a, is one of the best players in the pack 12, regardless of position. He came from Nevada and he's a playmaker. Uh, Cam Ward's a really good quarterback who they got from incarnate word came with OC Eric Morris. And everybody knows about Caleb Williams and that offense. I think Washington state matches up pretty well against them. I don't think they're going to win this game, but I could see them giving USC some problems. Um, you know, USC, if it's a seven on seven game, USC could, could compete for the national title, right? <laughs> I mean, I just think the receivers led by Addison are really good. The running backs like Travis Dye probably doesn't get enough credit because Caleb Williams is getting all the credit. And if he's not, then Jordan Addison's getting it. And I feel like Travis Dye has been an amazing addition. But again, their defense is, you know, they've had, they've forced a bunch of turnovers and that's help, but they do not have a lot of players on defense. And, so I want to see how does this thing turn into a big shootout? Because if they don't get the turnovers, um, this could go down to the wire. I, I really think it's I think this is gonna be a fun 
you know, kind of a wild game in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think uh, USC is is sort of on the list of most intriguing teams this entire season. I I, I find myself it's it's compelling to see how the USC experiment is going to work out. Washington State is pretty good. They probably haven't been as explosive offensively because there was so much talk about Cam Ward and Eric Morris coming in there. Not that they've been bad offensively, but they haven't been. That hasn't been the thing that's been sort of wowing people. Um, so, yeah, I like that one. It's an interesting game. So my number five, I believe, is your number four. So that gives us a chance that like to, t- to talk about this game in a little detail here. So it was definitely the game that we all circled on the calendar back in in the spring and that's A&M at Alabama because of the Jimbo Saban war and the barbs and all the fireworks that went on when each went off on one another related to their positions on NIL when their positions are actually the same but you know basically Nick uh, sort of accuses Jimbo of cheating but not really because it's legal now but they're paying players and Jimbo you know thinks of it as being accused as cheating and anyway it turned into the story of the offseason, and then we anticipated it being sort of played out on October 8th in Tuscaloosa on the field. But A&M doesn't look very good. I mean, they look like they're heading towards another 8-4 and four season. They come in at 3-2. and two. Uh, Alabama... There's some uncertainty at Bryce Young and how his health, what his health will be after the shoulder injury last week. So, you know, if Bryce doesn't play, that certainly makes the game a lot more interesting. Or if he's limited, it makes it a lot more interested. And A&M also beat Alabama last year with a backup quarterback. So, you know, A&M can sort of like, you know, harken back to only a year where they didn't get much of a shot. Um, I think the storylines off the field are more interesting than the ones on the field, but this is my number five, and I think it's your also your number four. Yeah, I you know look if A and M can go eight and four um, for what they're paying Jimbo, it's not good. But I'd be surprised if they're going to go eight and four. Mm. You know, like look, I know they still have UMass, and UMass is horrible, so that's a win, and that gets them to four wins. I don't think their margin for error because. They are really bad on offense. Like they had basically two weapons this season, and now one of them, and Anaya Smith, is out. So it's basically you know Devon A. Chain and hope that Evan Stewart, the freshman, you know, become lives up to five star status, and the quarterback play gets better. You know, Jimbo, like everybody is buzzing about, like all right, Jimbo's offense not working anymore. He needs to relinquish play calling duties at the end of the year. I don't disagree with that, but like defensively, they haven't been that good either. They're like near the bottom of the conference in run defense. They're near the bo- they're near the bottom of the conference in total defense too. And this is from a team, you know, they've in four games against uh FBS opponents and it's not like they've played, you know, great defenses against them. Like Mississippi State has some guys, they don't have 400 total yards in any game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's shocking. Again, you know, it, we always knew that this was going to be an interesting year for AM because it did seem like their hype outmatched the reality that number six in the country preseason seemed to be overstepping what they might be. But we also, I also, at least I did, thought, well, they're still going to be good, right? They could, this could still be a, a, a 10 win ceiling, maybe nine win team. And you're right. I mean, listen, Auburn looks like it's kind of a mess, and South Carolina I don't think is very good, and you throw in that UMass game. So, okay, there's three games that they should and Auburn win. could have a new head coach by the time they play them. Now, it is at Auburn. But, like, 
this isn't like a you know after this weekend you know and i think they're going to get smashed in tuscaloosa but after that let's say they're three and three you know it's not like a juggernaut here you got i agree with you on south carolina i think Ole miss is good i think florida is a rebuild auburn is a mess umass is terrible and then you got lsu which is a rebuild and that's home you know like four of those six games are home um, but you can make the argument that after this week they could go on a big run too. Like that, that there's still could, an opportunity but, there. But that's part of the problem, though, Bruce. I think their fans are looking at it and going, "Wait a second, this isn't that heavy a lift here. We're not expecting, you know, we should be able to get eight to nine here, even with our rough start." Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting. Stu and I talked about this the other day on our podcast. Billy Lucci, who's as plugged into Texas A&M football as any person in the media. He's the Texags guy, and we both really like Billy. But Billy was is basically the the last guy you would think would be like, I don't want to say he's off the Jimbo bandwagon, but he was definitely sounding the alarm of, on you know, when he was watching them get blown out by Mississippi State, of this is not going well. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's not – it it's not worth it's not insignificant that right now Jimbo has the same record as Kevin Sumlin at this point and it's probably going to be a lot worse than Kevin Sumlin's record if you go a couple more games into it because I think Sumlin at some point as people pointed out won like five more his next five games Jimbo's probably not winning his next five games um now they paid him an insane amount of money and he's locked in there but Jimbo Jimbo's very different right now than he was in the Jameis days at Florida State. Like, they're horrific on offense. I'm, you know, like, this is this kind of feeds into our friend Ari Wasserman's Stars Matter thing. Yeah, it matters, but it's not the be-all, end-all. And the further this thing goes, the more I'm thinking, this is not going to end very well for, for A&M. It's just like, I... I think they're going to struggle to get bowl eligible. I think they probably Oof. will go six and six, but like you look at what he's done there and it's been really, really underwhelming. And I don't know why people are going to think, all right, he's going to, you know, this isn't like Kirby where it took him a while to break through in the national title. I just feel like it's a very different dynamic with him. The last thing I'll add on that game is the other thing to keep in mind is I know Bryce Young is a little banged up. So maybe we see more of Jalen Milrow, and, you know, Alabama has looked – I mean, you could we can nitpick, but Alabama is fine. They're, they're fine. They're, they're going to be really good. They're going to contend for the national championship. They have also been – you know, Saban seemed a little salty earlier this week. Like, clearly, I don't know if we still had this game circled, but I'm pretty sure Alabama still had this game circled. And I'm sure they remember getting beat last year. And – uh, you know, not that Alabama needs to be more motivated, but like I get the sense that the players, even if Nick is downplaying what happened in the offseason, I get the sense that the players may have been like, you know what, time to put those guys in their place. So let's just keep that in mind when they kick off in Tuscaloosa, which is probably going to be a night game. I, th- I, don't, I think it's announced, right? It's, an, it's going to be the night game on CBS this weekend. All right. So yeah. that that was uh, we both had that on our list. Um, you had it at number four. Let's go to your number. Well, actually, I'll go to my number four. I have uh, the the Red River shootout on here. And again, it kind of goes back to like th- this. I'm sort of um, lured by angst. 
the loser of this game is has three losses. Like the loser, if it's o, if it's OU, would have lost three games in a row. I believe for the first time since 1998 or 1999, like the pre-Stoops uh, OU. I know it's the first year under Brent Venables and of course, but, but this is the way college football is like if they're three and three with a three game losing streak, there's going to be a little bit of like, oh, my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? And of course, they're still going to be blaming Lincoln Riley. Some of the Sooners fans, hey, you know, he left the mess. So they're still in that window where they get to blame the previous guy. But the fact that like one of these two teams is going to walk away with three losses is going to produce a lot of angst. So not that I'm wishing for pain on any of these fan bases, but it's really compelling when you're in that spot. Yeah, I think even though he's in his first year, whereas Sark is in his second year, I feel like Brent Venables and and, and neither guy is going to get Paul Christ here where they're just going to, you know, fire them after this game or whatever. And it's going to shock people. I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to happen, but given that they have given up, like almost a hundred points in the last two weeks against, you know, Kansas state and TCU. Um, If they get lit up by Texas, I think, and again, as you said, this is not a great Texas team either, but three losses in order to start the conference at Owen three. You know, I think people are going to go, man, you're not going to be ready to make this move to the sec. If you're getting smashed in the big 12, Whereas Texas, you know, obviously you'd be you'd be if they lose, you'd be losing to the team that just got embarrassed by Texas, you know, TCU and certainly embarrassed um, defensively, you know, with K-State. But I I still feel like because Texas was so bad last year um, and they did have that game against Alabama where they hung with Alabama for the whole game. Um I think there's at least some incremental growth they can show and talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, to me, it's a, like, I, I feel like the bar is a little lower at Texas than where it is right now at Oklahoma. I, you know, look, we had Oklahoma a couple weeks ago at Nebraska, you know, Nebraska just fired Scott Frost and urban Meyer, you know, he had come away thinking Oklahoma after seeing him in person was a playoff contender. Um, they're very far from a playoff contender, as you can see by what they look like on defense. And we'll see how healthy Dylan Gabriel is after that shot he took the other day. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like it's just such a feels like the bottom dropped out in a hurry where that's not the case at all in Texas, you know. And so I just feel like Texas is in a, is in a little more of a stable dynamic at this point. Yeah, which is weird because they're a little further into their rebuild. You'd think that they should be further along. But you're right. I think that there's just I think that there is a coming to terms of what is going on at Oklahoma. Right. I, I, I don't I think that, you know, going back to Stu, right, Stu picked them to pick to, to be like seven and five. Right. And that Oklahoma fans went berserk and then of course they start the year in the top 10 and people are like no man we're still Oklahoma we don't we don't have rebuild years around here we're still Oklahoma we still have the most talented roster in this in this conference we'll be fine and they win their first three games and it's just they haven't had a rebuild in Oklahoma in a long time so the idea that they might need a season to recalibrate turn over the roster I think will be a shock to the system 
And maybe they don't. Maybe they bounce back and they go on a run here and they end up contending for the Big 12 again uh, and right some of their problems. But it's just fascinating. Clearly, Oklahoma is at a fork in the road for this season, and it's either going to go one way or the other. And I think we'll find out which way it goes at the Red River Rivalry. And your number three game is also on my list, so we can get into what is, I think, the most interesting and certainly the most impactful matchup in the Pac-12. Yeah, Utah at UCLA. This is a game when folks around here had circled a little bit um, for a while. It's interesting because going into the year, I thought, all right, UCLA has a really good chance to come into this game 5-0. and And part of that was because I didn't think Washington would be as explosive as they have proved to be on offense. Um, and then they got everybody's attention by, you know, whipping Michigan State and then kind of, you know, rolling. And, like, I think you and I both agree, Kalen DeBoer is a really good hire there. UCLA was impressive the other night against them. They were they were really impressive on on defense, I thought, you know, getting some turnovers, making some key plays, and – DTR is playing the best he's ever played at, at you know, and he's been there forever. And they've they've flown under the radar to, to a large degree because I think people have seen, you know, all the big name transfers USC has gotten across town. And I don't think they realize or maybe have overlooked some of the really good additions UCLA has added. And then you got Utah where, you know, they have been the they have been the most consistent program in the Pac-12. They are they're always going to be really physical and they're so well coached and yes they got beat by Anthony Richardson in Florida in the in the opener. But you know, no one's you know, they're the higher ranked team in this game, right? So I think we want to see, you know, you guys had a few big wins under Chip Kelly there. It's like how well can they handle success because now people are talking around the, about them a little bit locally you know is this a game and i don't want to say if, if dtr plays as well as he did last week dtr becomes a heisman candidate but that's that may happen if they play really well here because i think utah does have a lot of respect nationally and i think they can they have they have people's attention for the first time in a long time out here. I'll say that. Yeah, and, and the, I think the winner of this game, you know, listen, there's also the interesting sort of playoff dynamic where where I we have not ruled out the Pac-12. Utah's already got a loss, so they probably need to run the Pac-12, which I think they're capable of. Uh, I still, you know, I think they're going to rue the day that they lost that game. They they really should have beaten Florida, uh, and they had it right there. Um, but yeah, a lot of the same reasons I'm interested in this game that you are in that, you know, just how does UCLA match up against the physicality of Utah? Maybe this isn't the most physical, physically dominating, you know, front lines for Utah that we have seen, but it's still sort of the, it's the, it's the identity and the ethos of the team. And we'll see if UCLA can match up against that. They've done some great things offensively. They, they relied heavily on turnovers to slow down Washington. I don't know if that UCLA defense is really up for what Utah is selling. My number three is, again, a little off the radar, and it comes back to angst. And what, what do you got for me, Miami? That's what I'm asking. Like, what, what is left of Miami at this point? North Carolina State. Uh, what would you say? 
No, I, I think it's it's they're reeling out after a bye week, after a terrible loss. Yeah, North Carolina teams. comes to town here. And, you know, for all the issues that North Carolina's defense has had, that offense is amazing. And Drake May is really good. And they might be the best team in the Coastal, <laughs> it's, it, which is a little crazy to say. But that might be they might be the favorite in the Coastal. And if they win this game, they are absolutely clearly the favorite in the Coastal. So it's an interesting ACC game. And again, like, what do you have, Miami? If if Miami can't muster some offense against this defense, it's going to be a really long first year for for Mario. I think they've already resigned themselves in Miami to, okay, we got some building to do. We have some injuries at receiver. It's going to take a year to flip this roster. Let's temper expectations. But if you lose this game... All of the interest of this year goes off the table, and you're completely looking toward the future. Yeah, I went down there and saw them practice in August and thought they really have almost no playmakers. Their receiving core was really underwhelming. Now, And that's without their most reliable receiver, who's out with a foot injury, Xavier Restepo, who's out maybe you know towards the end of the season. Right. And so they are really limited. They're running their backfield has been gutted by injuries and it wasn't that great of a backfield. Um, you know, it was interesting. I had a, uh, you know, you a big UM like fan account had had tweeted is the difference in talent between USC and Miami that significant? And I was like, yeah, it actually is like Caleb Williams is a much better quarterback. Travis Dye is way better than and the receiving gap. Like USC probably has four receivers better than Miami's best receiver, even when he's healthy. You know, it's just not great. Now, there's still no excuse to lose to Middle Tennessee. They gave up a ton of big plays on defense. And I, you know, at least North Carolina can hang its head on offense. Miami doesn't have one side of the ball to lean on. It's been just very mediocre on both sides. And... I think this is the case where I have no doubt Mario Cristobal is going to dramatically upgrade the roster. He's already doing that in, in the, this recruiting class, and I think he's doing all the right things. But it's like I would pick North Carolina this week because it's like Drake made 19 touchdowns, one pick. Like they have, like they have an identity on offense. I think that they added a good old line coach for what they wanted this off season and probably upgraded there. And I think that's helped now defensively in this game, if Miami can hold up its end and Miami doesn't have a lot of playmakers, I think this game could be like a, you know, a 42, you know, 30, 39 kind of game. It's just, I don't know if Miami is good enough on offense right now to, to do that. Yeah. To take advantage of, of the problems North Carolina is having. So, um, so that was my number three. Let's go to your number two. My number two was also UCLA, Utah. So we got that there. I think we both have the same number one. So uh, your number two is Tennessee at LSU. Yeah, I almost had uh, this one too. I think this is this is a compelling. This is to me the most interesting game in the SEC this week. Yeah, I I think not so really for the Tennessee piece of this to me. You yeah, know, like yeah. I think. Josh Heupel and talk about like knowing what they want on offense. He came out in there with an offensive identity. Hendon Hooker has been a terrific fit for what they want to do. Um, LSU is obviously a tough place to play. I don't think I don't have huge expectations for LSU. To me, they feel like about an eight and four team, but they do have playmakers on defense. 
you know, and Jaden Daniels is playing really well. You got two transfer quarterbacks who I feel like both were kind of, I don't want to say left for dead, but they left really bad situations behind for the SEC, bet on themselves, and are playing really, really well, right? And so um, I'd have, a, even though it's, I would feel really confident if Tennessee was at home, um, but I'm still really confident in Tennessee. I just feel like they have a really good thing going at this point. I don't think they're the, you know, who knows? Maybe they could be the third best team in the in the SEC. I don't think they're. I don't think they can hang with Georgia physically, but I think the I would pick them here. It's a, it's a three point spread as I think was we're talking. Yeah, but I it's also a like, noon game, which I know pisses off a lot of LSU fans. Yeah, maybe right? Tiger <laughs> yeah. Stadium a little bit. Yeah, I think that definitely helps. I think this is. I think ten, this is a good situation for Tennessee to go in there and, and you know, it's not an upset, but I think it's always a surprise when a team that, um, you know, and a, a team that I don't think people look at as like, a, maybe they're a top 10 team. I don't know. I don't know how good they are on defense. I think Jaden Daniels dual threat ability will test. It. And I also think LSU getting John Emery back last week, was a big addition. They missed him last year. He's a really talented back. He's strong. He's elusive. Um, they didn't have him last year because of academic issues. That hurt. They didn't have him for the first few games. He came back last week and made some really explosive plays. And they, you know, like he makes them a different offense. And so that's another reason why I'm interested to see how this one goes down. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee has Alabama and Georgia, as usual, on the schedule. And I think this is a game which will tell me how much I need to take Tennessee seriously. I understand they're sitting in the top 10. I'm not quite sure they are a top 10 team. But if they win this game, and depending on how they win it, I get a little better read on how seriously I need to take Tennessee. Okay, let's wrap it up with the clear and obvious most interesting game of the week, and I'll let you take the lead on it. Of course, it's Kansas and TCU. Why, you know, who who didn't have this one circled at the beginning of the year, right? Um, what I love about this game is you know, look, it's very different with Sonny Dykes and Lance Leipold there. Those guys have made immediate impact. But I think what's a really fun piece of this matchup is Jalen Daniels has really, really blown up this year in a hurry. The one who has come, I don't say come out of nowhere, because Max Duggan did some really good things as a freshman there at TCU, but now he's a senior, had a lot of health issues that kind of derailed him. Um, these two quarterbacks, though, get this, they have combined – 22 touchdowns, one interception this year. And both guys are not just pocket guys. They're really good athletes who can make plays with their legs. I am leaning towards TCU because I just feel like they are, they are, both teams are on a roll. Um, I feel like TCU has a little bit more of a, just kind of like, hey, we're just letting it, letting it all hang out right now. A few more and, playmakers probably on the TC. As great as Kansas's offense has been, I, I feel like there's a little, there's a few more guys on TCU side where I go, oh man, like, yeah, that's a pro. they have a lot that's of a pro. That's a yeah, that's a super fast guy. That's an NFL guy. Yeah, uh, it's it's a fascinating matchup with the quarterbacks too, in that it's it. It's stories that you don't see as much with quarterbacks these days, right? And Duggan, it's it's he he stuck around, right? He didn't go in the portal, and he's had ups and downs, and he's had injuries, and we're we're so used to quarterbacks either sort of 
busting out early or they transfer and maybe find a home somewhere else. Uh, and that's not him. He's a veteran quarterback who's finally seemingly reaching his potential at the place he started. And with Daniels, it's he he, he wasn't the superstar recruit. He kind of got overshadowed. It's hard to I find that. Ralph, he grew up about ten minutes from here, where I live. Yeah, yeah. This is what was in his in his in his cl- recruiting class in the local area: Bryce Young, DJU, and CJ Stroud. <laughs> right. Those are like the three big, and they were all down here that year. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's neat to see a guy who like it's it's hard to find these. Again, I'll use that word like diamond in the rough. Like it's just the way recruiting is, especially in a state like California, in Southern California, it's hard to find guys that like fly under the radar or maybe are a little bit of late bloomers. Maybe he was in, I don't know his high school path, but maybe he didn't get his break in playing until a little later. Whatever the case may be, like these are the type of quarterback stories that are, are a little unusual these days. The guy who stays, the, the, the prospect who's under the radar and has to go to Kansas from, from Southern California. And um, yeah, and not to mention, listen, I mean, if Kansas gets the six, and we talked about this earlier when we talked about Lance Lipo, right? Like at this point, it's almost all house money for Kansas. It's the intrigue is just where is this ceiling? Are they really going, are we going to be in late November going, wow, Kansas could play in the Big 12 championship game. It seems like anybody in that in that league at this point could play in the conference championship game. Maybe we've eliminated West Virginia, but the rest is still up for grabs. So the winner of this game is the only, I believe, is the only undefeated. Well, no, Oklahoma State is undefeated overall as well, but it's only playing one one conference game. Uh, until this week, so yeah, I mean, the winner of this game is going to come in, come out of this in position to be like really good shape to make a run at the conference title game. And neither of these teams were on the radar for that coming into the year. Yeah, and look, good on both you know ads and administrations. Like, I feel like they didn't overthink it on this hire. Absolutely, you know, a lot good of point. Good year. point. Both of them. And I, yeah, and I think it's paid off, and it's paid off in a hurry. So. Um, I can't wait to watch this game. Where will you? You will be at Big Noon this weekend, right, Bruce? Yeah, as usual, we got which is yeah, Michigan at Indiana. Yeah, so this is week three of the Michigan Michigan tour for Big Noon. Um, <laughs> gotta gotta ha- hammer those brands, Bruce. Gotta hammer yeah. those brands. Hey, one little tip: Indiana has a fun freshman player named Jalen Lucas. He just started to break out last week. Um, he's a guy I've been kind of touting since last year because I heard some stuff from people I know, you know, coaches I know who really I, tr- I trust with their evaluation. He's a super fast little like Dexter McCluster, E Tyreek Hill kind of, and those are big names, obviously. But um, for a team that really needs a splash, he, you know, he will be a fun player. You will see some highlights of him this year that maybe not this weekend against Michigan, but, um, you know, so that's what we got, even though. Kansas TCU is a FS1 game, so it's still on our network. Okay, um, so you but, can you can plug that one too, right? If if you've got if you're looking for an alternative at noon, Kansas TCU that's that's just over a couple of, a couple of stations away. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know. I can exactly. do it. I can plug it. You mean if you don't if you don't feel if you're comfortable doing that, I'm going to tell you. You can watch Big Noon, watch Bruce, and then and then flip over to K, uh, to Kansas TCU. 
I believe, and I should be, I should know this, but I think um, Big Noon is on both FS1 and Big Fox, so it's not even flipping over. Yeah, so, so you definitely need to know that, by the way. Bruce Feldman, you can see him, uh, his handsome face on Big Noon and on Fox throughout the day. You can read him at The Athletic, of course. Bruce, uh, thank you so much for coming aboard, breaking down so much the weekend's games and the coaching carousel. And, uh, hey, safe travels this weekend. Thank you, and good luck to your Mets, Ralph. I am. Uh, I feel like I live and die with your social media accounts, as you, as you are a diehard, and I know this is. I know the expectations are high about the Amazons. You know what? They got playoff games this weekend. I'm trying to take a glass half full approach to this. Uh, I'm also, in some ways, glad I'll be very busy this weekend, so maybe I don't have to focus on them i think it's sometimes it's will better be, it's better be for huddled? my mental health sometimes will you be huddled somewhere around a tv or a second screen with like a bob apodaca jersey on <laughs> bob apodaca. maybe maybe friday night you know i will be doing that but obviously i'll be working on saturday so i'll have other things to do but yes i i, I may have to dust off my skip lockwood jersey <laughs> there you go right. thanks bruce and now three and out. First down. It is pretty clear that this is going to be quite a bad season for the ACC schools in Virginia. Virginia Tech has to worry about possibly losing to both Old Dominion and Liberty, who they play later in the season. I wouldn't be surprised if neither the Hokies or the Cavaliers reach a bowl game. What does that say about new coaches Tony Elliott at Virginia, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech? Well, not sure. Neither took over a great situation. I think at Virginia Tech, it has been well documented that Justin Fuente was not recruiting well enough, and Pry is now trying to make the most of that roster, minus a few players who jumped in the portal that could have been helpful. Virginia had seemingly been doing better under Bronco Mendenhall, but I think it's fair to say that part of the reason Bronco stepped away from the game was because he could see the program having plateaued and the path to again pushing the trajectory upward was going to be difficult. We talk about how the portal can help a new coach flip a roster and point to USC, but Virginia Tech and Virginia both seem to be hurt by the loosened transfer rules, more than helped by losing key players that they really couldn't replace with equal talent in the portal. Virginia, for example, wasn't going to find an all-conference quality center to replace the one it lost to Michigan. Generally speaking, I think it's best to give both Pry and Elliott some time to rebuild. Consider this year zero for both. I can understand being more frustrated with the who's because it's pretty clear... Brennan Armstrong's last season is going to be wasted. And to have an offensive-minded coach who can't figure out a way to get the most out of a very good quarterback can be maddening. But it's just not clicking in Charlottesville. I've always had a soft spot for the Virginia-Virginia Tech rivalry. Even though the Hokies have dominated it for a long period of time, it has produced some pretty wild games in the last six to eight years, often played on Black Friday. But I suspect this year the best we're going to get from the Commonwealth Clash is a bull bid on the line for both. Second down, I mentioned Tennessee is a top 10 team right now, but I'm not sure the Vols are actually a top 10 team. We mentioned that when talking about Tennessee's game 
with LSU when Bruce was on. I think Oklahoma State is in the same position. The Cowboys are clearly going to be a factor in a wide-open Big 12, but they had an early week off, so they have only played four games. The Baylor win was very good, but it was a game also decided by turnovers and a big special teams play. Arizona State was supposed to test Oklahoma State, but not much going on there in Tempe. I hesitate to underestimate Mike Gundy's program, even though I clearly did before the season. In my annual predictions column, I picked three teams that will start the season ranked, but not end it that way. Had Miami, looking good there. Had Arkansas, based mostly on the difficulty of the SEC West, and have a chance there. And I was going to pick either Baylor or Oklahoma State. I thought the two best teams in the Big 12 last year were both due for some regression. Looks like I may have chose the wrong horse there, but the Cowboys are, after facing Texas Tech at home this week, have four road games left. Three against ranked Big 12 teams, another against Oklahoma. The Big 12, I think, still has about two or three plot twists left this season. Third down, I'm working on a story that I won't have done in time to post in the show notes, but will pop up on my Twitter feed later this week. To give you a sense of how crazy it is to have this many coaches fired in a season this soon, here's a little note I looked up. Since Lane Kiffin was fired on the tarmac after USC's fourth game of the season in 2013 through last season, there were nine coaches fired before their teams played a sixth game. So less than half a season. There have already been five coaches fired this season that have coached less than half a season. It's wild stuff. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. If you'd like to send questions... AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. The digits 2-5. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.